Salam alaikum and welcome to Sukun, a Muslim wellness podcast by Nazimko. My name is Farhana Kasamali and I will be your host through this journey we take together towards holistic wellness within an Islamic framework. Over the course of the next year, we will be speaking to 12 community leaders, experts, and mental health and wellness professionals who will enrich us with their healing words, stories, and personal journeys on the path to wellness. Indeed, those who have said our Lord is Allah and then remained on the right course, the angels will descend upon them saying, do not fear and do not grieve, but receive good tidings of paradise, which you were promised. Surah Fusilat, ayah number 30. Join me every month as we begin these essential conversations to promote our community's well-being and healing and to begin to unravel the ways in which we as a community can heal individually, internally, and also collectively in unity. Please note this episode contains themes of depression, anxiety, and other potentially triggering discussions. If you or someone you know is in crisis or in need of support, please look to our show notes for resources. I'm really honored to introduce our guest for this month, Sheikh Dr. Fayaz Jaffer. Welcome, Sheikh. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So just to get started, how did you get started in becoming a Sheikh and then working at a university and most recently getting your PhD? Congratulations as well for that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I mean, I think that if I were to trace back my steps um, many years uh, I think more than anything else, it was just uh, curiosity. Um, and I think that's kind of the theme of so much of what I encounter during my academic discourse in life. Um, I, I just used to ask a lot of questions, or if I wasn't asking, I was thinking or wondering, um, where did I come from? Where am I going? What is my purpose? Why am I here? And I think these questions are, are, are you know, inquiries that anyone and everyone um, naturally has to encounter um, at one time or another during the course of their lives. And for most people, I think it's, you know, these are questions that they are very quickly to kind of sweep under the rug because why would I think about what my purpose in the world is before I go to sleep when I could think about what I'm going to have for breakfast? That's a lot easier. We love distractions, right? Yeah. You know, I was actually driving the other day and for, I, I finished a phone call um, I'm usually on the phone like all the time, just in my in my work and in my life. And it was I was leaving a program after like giving a lecture, and I was driving back home. And you know it was eleven o'clock at night, so naturally no one was talking at eleven o'clock at night. And yeah. I didn't turn on like the radio, or I didn't like listen to like some podcast. I didn't. I was not listening to Quran or things that I would normally do, or I call my wife, but she was asleep at that time. So I'm driving, and I'm like in total silence, and I realized like, oh wait a minute, this is kind of nice actually. I'm always. Yeah distracted. So anyway, I, I say all of that because I think that what really um, started my journey in, you know, seeking knowledge or, you know, studying in the Islamic seminary or continuing kind of my, you know, graduate degrees and whatnot is just curiosity that I always had this desire to like know and to learn. And I think that that path of like seeking um, is something consistent during the course of our lives. And I hope that we like as a community more broadly can kind of cultivate that reality of always looking to learn, looking to grow and looking to improve ourselves, not for any other purpose, not for salary increase, not for another academic credential or accolade, but literally just for the sake of learning, because 
it's a really good feeling to, 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 to just continue to, to kind of go through that path. Yeah. And so did your parents ever kind of encourage you to do something more traditional with your education or were they kind of fully supportive? Because normally we kind of get the doctor, lawyer, engineer, accountant path told to us. Um, yeah. And if my parents are listening to this, um, they uh, will not be so happy, perhaps. I... <laughs> <laughs> we won't share um, it with them. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so I think when I when I completed my doctorate, you know, I, I sarcastically told my parents, I was like, hey, like, he, he, here it I'm is. A doctor now. <laughs> it's just not the doctor that, <laughs> that she wanted. Yeah. So my dad like joked back and he said, like, you know, when, when I can call you like MD at the end of your name, you know, then I'll, you know, then I'll, uh, you know, give you the big congratulations. That you, um, of course, it was like all in good jokes. I think, yeah, I mean, I think naturally they had um, a lot of like fear around like, you know, they migrated to this country. Like here I am like studying like religious studies, like what yeah. like, the hell, you know, yeah. um, why don't you like go and study business or why don't you become like an engineer or why don't you like do something more meaningful? Um, and, 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 you know, I really like to think that, um, I just, I, I really had this desire to like learn and like, and yeah. had like this really, really strong passion in, in the study of religion. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I know, I, you know, all of this blessing comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but, you know, I, 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 did, I never questioned myself, you know, I don't think I ever questioned myself during the course of the process. Yeah. I knew that I would eventually like get where I needed to be, to be successful, um, and to like make an impact like in the community because that was my that was my desire from day one you know number one for myself to fulfill that curious you know desire that I had internally within myself but then also to like give back right because you go to the mosque you go to the Islamic center you go to school you go through whatever it is that you go through and you realize that wait a minute the answers that I'm getting to these questions they're not like the answers that I that are that are filling my heart with you know yeah. with what I'm looking for People come to my office all the time, you know, and they and they tell me like, you know, 18, 19 year old college student, the most formative years of their life. They're asking, like, why am I here? Like, what's my purpose? You know, I feel like I don't I don't I don't have I don't have a purpose in the world, you know, and I think that, you know, I was I was in the in that chair, you know, fast forward or, or rewind, you know, 15, 17, 20 years ago. And I think back, like, wait a minute, you know, I, I am fulfilling someone. I'm helping someone else fulfill their ultimate purpose. And um, that's very meaningful, but it, but I needed to, I needed to, um, I needed to allow for that curiosity to take me and lead me to where it did in order for me to do that for others, you know? So I don't also regret whatever hardship came along with um, the study and the lack of an engineering degree or a law degree or whatever else. Yeah. Yeah. As someone who did take the traditional path, I can tell you in accounting, I'm not like living the dream by any means. I am just along. And I think there are so many of us kind of doing that. I think we find, I try and find purpose in my career, for example. So like the 18 and 19 year olds that come into your office were kind of like, why am I here? I feel like the rest of us are also kind of questioning that. Like sometimes I'm, you know, doing a tax return and other people listening who are kind of plugging along on their path. They're like, what is the point of this? Like, yes, it's risk. Yes. I should work for my family. Yes. I should support, you know, for me, it's supporting my daughter, supporting my parents, but what is that ultimate point? And so I feel like to the 18 and 19 year olds, I feel like it doesn't end. I feel like you have these moments where you're just like, I don't get it. And when you talk about the distractions, I still feel that because it's the distractions where I'm like, okay, do this, do that, do this, do that, get this, buy this, call this person. My day ends and I'm not sure how fulfilled I feel. 
doing all these things. And then I feel ungrateful and then I feel horrible. And it just goes through that circle again and again. Can I, can I talk some of that back to you for a yes, second? Please. Um, you know, I think that's in the society and in the world that we live in, we're often bound by whatever job title or job description that we have. That's who we are, right? You know, yeah. me, oh, you know, Dr. Sheikh, you know, the same whatever int- introduction you gave me. I feel good yeah. about that, right? Because like those are my yeah. credentials, those are my accolades, right? But like if someone asks me essentially who am, who I am, who, who am I, how do I, I identify myself? I don't identify myself by my career or by my academic accolades by any stretch of the imagination. If anything, I'm a lot more than that. And you're a lot more than that, right? I am yeah. father to my to my to my daughters, right? You know, to me, like the most important thing today is like making sure that like I get my kids like into like, like this soccer camp that like I want them to like get into or whatever it might be, right? That's yeah. much more meaningful to me than anything else because I'm more than my than than my than my than my role, you know, institutionally. And so oftentimes I think that we get so bogged down in our day-to-day that we we don't zoom out and see who we are to other people, um, you know, and how we connect with them, you know, you know, in a much more sort of meaningful way. Think about it. Like when we talk about the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, when we talk about Ahlul Bayt, peace and blessings be upon them, they all had professions, but, you know, you don't see anyone on the pulpit or in their homes or in Sunday school talking about like their work or their occupation because it wasn't important, right? In the big picture, it's yeah. only small part of who we were. We're you're not we're not going to be remembered, you know, for, you know, you're not going to be remembered for being an accountant other than those that you serve directly, right? All, you know, yeah. you're, going not. Be, <laughs> you're going to be more remembered by your family and the people that you made an impact. Right? You're listening to this episode 30 years from today, inshallah, right? Yeah. Um, so I think that we need to all of us collectively, we need to look beyond the labels that we that, that are attributed to us and think about like what meaning are we bringing to the world that we're living in, you know? And every one of us have that potential and capacity. Occupation is just a means to that end, I think, you know, and not the end in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah, I think those those labels just, like you said, they really do kind of in the end almost define you to the end. You're like, because when you introduce yourself, you're asked to like name three things about yourself. Like when I introduce myself, it's well, I'm a CPA, I'm a single mom, I'm this, I'm that. And these are the things I go through and I'm, you know, Shia, I, whatever it is. Right. But finding the meaning outside of those labels and because we work eight hours a day at a minimum, mm-hmm. like tax season is, you know, 12 hours a day. And it's, you know, you kind of lose yourself to try and balance this world with what our ultimate goal is sometimes can be tricky. And I find, I'm sure students find that as well, because they're like, Oh my God, what am I going to be? What am I going to major in? Like, I remember those times. Right, it's very right. stressful it is. because it is. you're like, Oh, I can't do this again. This is the only time. How do you kind of balance or help people when they come to you with those stress levels of, if I don't get this right in uni, it's all over kind of feelings. Yeah. 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 And, you know, those are important conversations and discussions, especially for someone who's 19 years old. And the only thing they could think about is like their academics and like, you know, what job they're going to get after. Right. And yeah. That age, people think about two things. They think about relationships and they think about making money. Right. Like that's yep. essentially what, what I, you know, if I were to, if I were to, sum, you know, sum it down or break it down to the most simplistic manner. Um, and that's fine. And that's good. And that's important. I mean, my responsibility is to get them to kind of see like themselves through like a much more bird's eye view, you know, 
that you are more than your occupation. You know, you are more than your academic choices in your career. You know, I think why so many young people today, and, you know, we know this with data, you know, have an increase in depression and anxiety and like mental health obstacles and challenges is often tied to these two realities, like financial hardship um, and like relationship challenges. And, you know, oftentimes people, particularly young folk in social media age, post COVID, maybe whatever, um, a whole a whole host of contributants, meaning um, is because they don't see themselves as more than what other people see them as, you know, and yeah. I'm not I'm not in any way saying that's an easy sort of cure. It's not. We do it all the time. I am, you know, well past, you know, 19 years old. And I still feel that sort of pressure, like I'm sure that many others do to live up to the expectation, to live up to a pressure, to live up to you know, perception of, of, of the external, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, in my public facing role, I have to deal with that all the time, right. With everything and anything that I do and say, um, and it is what it is. So to say, and imagine for someone who's 18, 19, who still is not, who's still figuring out life. I need to get them to sit in this chair, right. To my, right. To my left. I know listeners can't see where I'm seated right now, but yeah. And I'm telling them that like, listen, you know, like you are like a servant of God. You have a responsibility to God more than anyone else. You have a responsibility to yourself. You have a responsibility to your faith and to your religion, to your family. Don't give up like your values for all of those things that you're seeking and that you're chasing because of what other people want or what other people think. It's really hard to balance like, you know, that in the society that we live in. But I would argue that was hard, you know, forever, right? It was hard yeah. during the time of you know, Noah yeah. and Abraham and Moses and Jesus. And that's why we recollect the anecdotes and the stories that we do consistently, because yeah. it's like the essential human struggle in battle, this like jihad sort of human struggle that we speak to. Every day we go through that, right? And I think that that's, you know, it's something that's hard and difficult. Um, but when you're armed with the right, you know, forces, so to say, which is utilizing your rationale and you have like high emotional intelligence and, you know, you, 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 you live life and you walk your days with the purpose and you know what it is that you want to be and who you have the potential to be. Um, there's a lot of opportunity, uh, undoubtedly for growth. Yeah, absolutely. And I think social media does have that impact, but you're right. It existed far before, like even in our parents' generation, I mean, it existed because they would look at their friends and say, oh, they're going on this holiday and I'm not going on this holiday because I don't have that, those same finances. Right. That comparison game has always existed. So you're right. It's always been a battle. Yeah. 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 What role does spirituality play in promoting mental well-being among Muslim youth and what strategies can young Muslims adopt to integrate their faith into their mental health journey? Yeah, that's a that's like a really great question. And I think that, you know, in conversations around mental health, you know, alhamdulillah, like increasingly today, there's more of a um, understanding that religion and spirituality serve like as a supplement to one's mental health, you know? Yeah. They can't be divorced from one another, so to say. You know, I think like someone's general health is understood like through various pillars, right? So, you know, mental health, you know, physical health, you know, you know, and emotional health, you know, are all kind of like tied, you know, to one another, in addition to like spiritual health, so to say. And so, you know, it's it's really, really important to, you know, for folks to keep in mind that that religion undoubtedly plays a role in one's growth, but it is not the be all end all, right? I can't 
I should absolutely like make dua to Allah when I have the flu and saying like, oh, Allah, like help, you know, cure me or making dua for others. Um, yeah. And it plays a role. There is no doubt that dua and supplication and, you know, in the world of the unseen, our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows no bounds. Um, yeah. But when we limit it to, you don't need to go see the doctor to get your flu vaccine or to, you know, get your antibiotics or whatever, just make dua. No one says that, right? No one says that except for a few folks, but, you know, we, we generally, <laughs> there are, yeah, there, there are a few, there are a few, you know, anyone, anyone who, you know, who has an understanding of, of, you know, anything, um, they, 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 they're not to say that. And one's, you know, mental health, um, you know, sometimes also requires a professional. Um, and so it's really, really important that we go to the professional, but also supplement that with, you know, dua and with spirituality and with, you know, acts of worship and so on and so forth. And we see it as a combination of like holistic health, um, you know, which I really, which, which I think really, really contributes to our, uh, into what it is that we're seeking holistically. Yeah. I think um, it was during the COVID at the start and they came out with the vaccine and there was someone, you know, who said, well, I, you know, the imam will protect me. I don't need to get the vaccine. And someone responded with, well, why do you bother with the seatbelt? Then shouldn't the imam protect you there too? There you so I think we have to be very conscious of how much both realms can help us. And, you know, within America, I wish that we would kind of combine like physical health with mental health, like even with insurance and stuff like that. Cause I feel like one would definitely help the other. Like if someone said, well, I'm feeling depressed or I'm getting sick a lot, instead of just saying, here's some medicine, try and approach it as well. If you're getting sick a lot, is it due to stress? Are there other factors? Are there more holistic ways you can solve this, say by going for a walk every day for 10 minutes, right. as opposed to just the prescription writing, which I think is more common in the U S possibly than other countries. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I found very unique, I remember several years ago, um, before I think our communities became like very strong advocates of, you know, mental health, and we had open conversations like these ones about it, um, you know, five, seven, eight years ago, it wasn't, you know, it was sort of like an increasing conversation, but it still wasn't, hadn't had the same presence. So what I, did, what I decided to do was I decided to try to just like go back and look through like a lot of Islamic texts to see what was available um, like within within like our hadith literature, and I meant like I, I, I like some asked some of my scholar, you know, some of my teachers like back in the Islamic seminary, you know, you know, do we have conversations like around people who went through depression or anxiety, then went to like the imam and asked them for advice and whatever, and um, nothing specific, nothing direct that I was able to pull out, but I found so many unique like tidbits, so to say, that really helped me understand like how our faith tradition like sought to or tackle this problem, even if it meant, you know, in these really, really small, like, but practical ways. So if you take a look, for instance, so many of like the ahadith that Imam Ali salam, narrates on behalf of the prophet, he would say, I was walking with the prophet and the prophet said this to me, right? I was walking and, you know, we have like, you know, yeah. an abundance of hadith, meaning, meaning number one, the prophet was always walking, right? Yeah, were, that's true. Walking, walking. I mean, they were keeping, they, they, you know, there was like a social, like, you know, atmosphere as well. There's also like the, the the sort of notion of contemplation and reflection, you know? We have all of these traditions that talk about, you know, how we should care for the for the believing, your believing brother or sister, you know? Ask them how they're doing and say, salam alaikum and respond to their alaikum salam, you know, all, all of this. Yeah. Stuff. And like these small 
opening of avenues between individuals, they help contribute toward like good, positive, like mental health as well. You actually ask someone how they're doing, you know, you're not just saying it by like tongue, you know, how's it going, you know, and you yeah. just, but you're, but you're saying with your heart, you know, and I think that, you know, our presence, uh, you know, and our, and our mindfulness during the course of, you know, our engagement with other people, you know, undoubtedly is a religious practice, but is also a really, really important contributant, not only to our own mental health, but toward others as well, depending on how we engage. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I think, I think it was said somewhere that if, say, you have animosity with someone and you, you go to the masjid and you say salam to them, or they take the first step and they say salam to you and you say, like, salam, or they do, that you can't have that animosity anymore. Right. Or, you know, you hold hands after, for dua after namaz. Very hard to have animosity after that. And asking people how they're doing can be, it's so good to hear how others are doing just to see like, okay, can I help this person? And helping others is in a way helping yourself. Right, absolutely. And then we could even extend that to forgiveness, you know, as, as difficult as it is to forgive someone who has- Forgiveness hurt. is hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's very hard. I know, believe me, I know. But, the, you know, we're taught to forgive others, not only for their sake, but for us, you know, for us to get past whatever obstacle that we're yeah. encountering. And I'm not saying it's something that all, all of a sudden we have to do it right now and, you know, we move on with our lives, but but it, it, it's very, very challenging. But for us to get through and heal whatever, you know, encounter, challenge, obstacle that we endured during the course of our lives, which is why forgiveness is so central within our religious tradition, because it helps yeah. us uh, yeah. as, much as, as much as it uh um, you know, as much as we're asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to facilitate for others. So, yeah. So I think that sometimes what I always go back to is like, okay, I've sat through a number of, you know, Ashura Majalis and other Majalis and I've heard everything. And if we listen to Dua Kumail every week and we actually live the, the words, why do you think the Shia group sometimes feels like we're having so many problems? Like we hear about disagreements in the community and we hear about egos becoming a problem and we hear about all these little things happening if we're following this path shouldn't life just be a lot easier like shouldn't I be able to get through it like without any issues with anyone and go on my way sounds nice right <laughs> it really does <laughs> um you know I think it's about you know that that point that you had mentioned like well whether or not we're like truly like enlivening the words or not right um I think I think it's about you know, at the end of the day, like we're, we're, we're a body of ritual um, and we get so ingrained in ritual that we don't cultivate the spiritual. And I think that's precisely the issue. Um, anyone can just stand and bow and prostrate or raise their hands and do or like abstain from food and drink and starve themselves. But is it like, is it truly cultivating that which we're seeking, like piety, God consciousness, taqwa, whatever we want to call it? Um, I think that's the big problem, you know, with everyone, right? And and, and I speak for myself before, uh, you know, before anyone else. Um, ideally, like our relationships with others within community could likely be um, much more meaningful or much more beautiful or void of the conflicts that we often see them in. Um, if we are truly like enlivening those, those words, um, but you know, I, I I don't know if we are doing it the way that we're supposed to be doing it, because it's either one or the other. I say this often, I get into a lot of trouble for it, but it's all, it's all good. <laughs> um, it's either that like the message itself is wrong or the way that we're packaging the message is wrong. 
Um, and so I'll leave it up to like the listeners to, to really think about whether or not this message is incorrect or the way that we're selling it, so to say, um, is incorrect. And I, by God, don't believe that this message is incorrect. Otherwise, I wouldn't be sitting here. Um, I just think that the way naturally that we're promoting it, the way that we're speaking it, the way that we're teaching it, the way that we're engaging it um, isn't necessarily like where, you know, it has the potential to be, to, 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 to be careful of my words. Yeah. Yeah, I think there is more of a movement, I think, from speakers that I've heard emerge like, you know, I grew up in Dubai and there was a lot of like, if one hair from your head is showing, you'll be hung by that hair over the fire. And I was like, and, you know, growing up, that was just, oh, my God, um, just too scary. But now I feel that there is more of a message of love of Allah, of Allah, how to think of him. Do you think that balance of, okay, yes, you shouldn't sin, but God is forgiving kind of thing. Is that balance for you as a speaker difficult to maintain? No, uh, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, I don't, I get in trouble so much um, from like various different pockets of the world. Um, and I think like, I'll just, you know, somebody reached out to me a little while ago and they were like, all you do is talk about like God's mercy, you know, like, can you like, please like talk about like other things? Um, so I said like, great, wow. that's a really great suggestion. And then the next day I just went and talked about God's mercy again. Um, because <laughs> I said, you know, at the end of the day, what is bringing people to like faith, you know, more than anything else other than him, right. And it's like, yeah. I, I got invited to like, to speak, um, like a youth group a little while ago. And, um, you know, they, 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 I, I asked them, what should I speak about? And they told me, what should I speak about? Like the day of judgment. So I was like, oh, great. Like, no, no one's ever asked me to speak about that before, but what would you want me to talk about? So they're literally telling me like, you know, a lot of our friends, they're like engaged in like, you know, illicit like relationships and like drugs and alcohol abuse yeah. and so on and so forth. And they said like, you know, maybe you can like, you know, talk about this and it will like strike some fear into their heart and, you know, whatever. So I was like, oh, fantastic. That sounds like a great strategy. Sarcastically, yeah. of course. Of course. And then I, I got to the program and then I just, instead I talked about, you know, like the forgiveness of Allah, like on the day of judgment, you know? And um, I, I told them, I said, you know, if you afterwards, I told them like, do you really think that people are going to get scared into like believing, right? Or scared into yeah. like obedience and worship? That's not the way that like I, not only like, is it like not culturally appropriate in the world that we live in? I also don't believe that that's the way that like the Quran was sent down, nor is it the way that the prophet or Ahlul Bayt used to live their lives, you know? And I think that our perception of religion for so many of us is so like wrong, you know, and it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't fit into the narrative like of, of, of Quran. It doesn't fit into the narrative of the life of the prophet and his family. And my guess, I don't know where it came from. But my guess is like a lot of cultural interjection of like how we are to discipline like our kids or whatever it might be. I, I don't know like where it comes from. And like, quite frankly, I, I, I don't understand. Don't like, don't get me wrong. I, there absolutely should be a balance. The Hadith of the Prophet says, La yakunu mu'min mu'minin hatta yakunu that a believer is not a believer until they're, they're, they're fearful and they're hopeful. We should fear God's punishment. We should fear the David. We should fear all of these realities, but we should also be hopeful. And there has to be a balance and, you know, to go back to your question, I don't think that for me personally, it's a challenge to express that balance because at the end of the day, like God's mercy, like precedes his wrath and our perception of religion, like if it's not po positively like connoted, then like, what do we have? Like what, like literally we have nothing in life 
if we don't have hope, you know, I, I just yeah. it doesn't it doesn't it, quite frankly, I don't I don't know. I don't know why we consistently engage in the same sort of rhetoric. Even when we talk about death or mortality, our perception is it's so frightening, you know, but why, why yeah. do we see it that way? It's a transition from this world to the next. I get it. You know, I, I'm, I have, I have a lot of bad deeds that need to be reconciled for and, you know, and so on and so forth. But if anything, why wouldn't I want to like worship a God that like cares about me? You know, you have to go to work and you have to report to supervisors as do I, you know, and if I had, you know, if I was coming to work and all of my superiors were just mean to me all the time, I would hate coming to work every day. But if there was an environment that, you know, they respected me and they treated me well, or at the very least, even if they, you know, told me things that I needed to hear that I didn't necessarily want to hear, if there was an environment that was more positive, I'd love to work for them. I'd be so much more loyal, right? And, yeah. you know, that's the environment that we love. And, you know, in work, it's like that. In family, it's like that. But all of a sudden, our perception of God is like this really negative God who wants to, like, you know, punish us at every second. I quite frankly don't, I just, I just don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, Sorry. it's very scary. It's, um, you know, Dubai Madrasa to anyone listening, if they were in Dubai Madrasa, was very scary. Um, have you gotten invited back to that youth group? Um, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. good. Oh, I'm really happy to hear that. I think they're under new leadership, though. I think that's why. <laughs> that's great. We're making we're making changes. But what if you think about like, like what if I'm like I'm I think of the tests I go through through life. You know, being a single parent is very difficult. Any yeah. other challenges that come along the way? I have friends that are going through just so many difficult challenges. What happens when we like? Is God punishing me, or is this a test? And have I not been forgiven for my sins? And I think we tend to, maybe it's because of this upbringing. I'm not sure. Like, I know I, speaking for myself, you, you know, you beat yourself up for these sins and you're like, I'm not being forgiven. This is why, this is why I don't deserve anything good. I, I should be punished. I sh- I'm not worthy of anything. And I think there are many of us who, who think this way. And it's very difficult to say, Rahana, you you can forgive yourself because God's forgiven you to believe those things and to continue through the tests of life because they're just tests. That's what this world is. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really, that's really powerful. And may Allah make it easier for you and everyone who's going through hardship. You know, it's like, you know, I really believe that like self-deprecation, you know, beating ourselves up in other words, is probably like our, the biggest hurdle that any, like any human being like goes through. We are much more kind to others than we are to ourselves, right? And oh yeah, and that's not necessarily like for bad, right? We should be we should be more rigorous and more diligent with ourselves and others, but not to that extent, right? Not to that extent. Um, and so when we see ourselves consistently, consistently, consistently self-deprecating, um, I think we need to kind of sit back and 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 really, really, really wonder like why is it that we're that we're treating ourselves that way, you know? Um, and, you know, is it our environment? Is it like our friends? Is it, you know, like, how do I, how do I, how do I supplement my life with more like positive validation? You know, I think that, that you know, that goes a long way. Or how do I reconcile this for myself, right? There, there are avenues for that, you know, and I'm happy to talk to anyone, you know, on a one-to-one, like on, on, on that as well. But I think that the, that the fundamental, like theological question that like, it's like interjected into this is the one that you would ask, like, is this a task or am I being punished? Essentially, we don't know, right? That's kind of like, I don't want to say it's the joy of life, but we, we never know, you know, uh, if I thought if, you were going to say, no, of course you're forgiven. 
<laughs> no, no, I, I'll get there. I'll get, I'll get there. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I mean, I think like ge- generally speaking, generally speaking, whenever we go through anything, people ask that question, you know? Yes. And we don't know why, you know? I don't know why this test over another test. I don't know why this, I, 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 I fundamentally, uh, you know, am limited in my knowledge. And I mean, me as a human beings in general, yes. we, we, we are limited with an intellect that does not have the potential to perceive Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's wisdom and knowledge to the nth degree. We don't have that. Correct. And we have to submit to the fact. That being said, though, to go back to go, to go back to your, to your point, when we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, with sincerity for forgiveness, we have to assume that God has forgiven us, you know, and we shouldn't allow for that doubt to like interject you know, or to manifest or illuminate into our minds, our hearts at all, right? Okay. In reality, that's satanic, right? That thought that God didn't forgive me is satanic. So now how do I fight that battle, right? That, well, you know, there's techniques and there's atman and there's da'a and, you know, but really it comes down to self, right? How am I like going to remind myself that God's mercy precedes like his wrath and that I, I sought sincerely. It doesn't mean you don't keep on asking God to forgive you. That's, it's part of the etiquette of, of uh, our relationship with Allah that we're consistently begging God to please forgive our sins and whatnot. But to always assume that this little challenge that I'm going through, this big challenge that I'm going through during the course of my life is by virtue of my, you know, past mistake or sin or so on and so forth, you know, that, that could potentially be very long-term detrimental and dangerous mm-hmm. to like our spiritual growth, our physical, you know, and undoubtedly like our mental, our mental health as well. So, you know, I think it really requires like a couple of things. Number one is how can we, you know, reassess our understanding of like religious text and theology, right? To understand that, wait a minute, let me, you know, let me, let me, let me not cross that line and, you know, um, put this on myself or put this on God. That's not fair, right? Yeah. And then number two, like, how can I like surround myself in an environment that's a little bit more positively like validating of, of who I am and like what I've become and, you know, what I've, what I've gone through and whatnot. And then number three, you know, if needed to like also like go and talk to people, right? To like, you know, if you need to speak to a specialist, if someone needs to, you know, connect with, you know, I don't know, some someone that they can just talk back to, a mentor or whatever, right? To, to, to have those conversations, sometimes talking them out are more, are, you know, a lot more meaningful and a lot more beneficial than, than, uh, than anything else. So, but, you know, fundamentally going back to the point, like self-deprecation is really, is really, really dangerous. And when we see ourselves beating ourselves up, and being way too hard on ourselves, um, we need to kind of just really take a step back and be like, okay, wait, wait a second, you know, um, this, this is not, this is, this can't continue for too long because again, that's not, that's not what God wants from us undoubtedly. There's a lot to think about with that answer. Um, so do you have any specific practices or resources that you would recommend for Muslim individuals struggling with mental health issues or think they might be struggling and aren't sure, like if they're hesitant to come to you, let's say I'm a uni student, but I'm hesitant to come to, you know, Dr. Sheikh Fayaz because he might judge me or he might talk about me at Sijni or Kui or anything like that. Um, if they feel like they're completely drowning, but don't want to come to someone for those fears, do you have any suggestions? Yeah, I mean, you know, I would say that even before like coming to me, like personally as an individual, I, I you know, everything that anyone ever talks to me about is in total confidence, you know, and yeah. I, I would never disclose anything to anyone, you know, and that's, you know, and that's, and that's my word. Um, so that's, that's number one. 
Um, and, and, and number two, there is absolutely no judgment. What I've learned in, you know, these years of work is that like everyone has like stuff like that they have to reconcile and they have to deal with. Right. And that, and that, that's okay. You know, that's, that's totally fine. You know, and, uh, sometimes, you know, if you're not comfortable, talk to me, I totally get it. Right. Talk, well, I, I'm happy to identify someone that you can talk to, you know, that's, that's not a worry. Um, regarding specific practices or resources, I think it really depends on like the individual, you know, I, I, I hate to, to give like a black and white answer or like, yeah. you know, cast everyone into kind of one boat. I, I don't think that that's fair. Um, you know, to, to be honest with you, I will say one thing just to open up one really quick parenthesis. Um, and that is that to have anxiety around like an exam that you have tomorrow or a job interview or like a really important, you know, meeting or whatever it might be, is not a bad thing. You know, all anxiety is not bad. All stress is not bad. You know, I, you know, we're, we're living in a world where sometimes we get, you know, and, and, and Sometimes we get a little bit like too sensitive um, to our own like mental health challenges um, that we that we sort of shut down or that we you know assume that we need like more support than we actually do. I, and I think like one of the practices that I try to or one of the conversations that I try to like engage with many of my students or many folks in the community that I have had like the privilege of working with is to like get them to understand that they also have like a moral, you know, that, that they, they, they should utilize their own like moral courage and be like, okay, wait a minute, this anxiety, because of this big exam you have to take, you should be anxious about that. You should be anxious about a job interview. You should be anxious because you're about to meet your potential wife's father, right? You should, right? You know, yeah. right? Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. And um, if you if you don't right, and you're so you know, for lack of a better word, like lackadaisical or like you know yeah. apathetic toward you know all of these, that 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 itself is a bigger problem. Yeah. Yes. That itself yes. is a bigger problem that needs that needs you know caring for. Um. So 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 so, so that's on one end. That being said, you know you know specific practices or resources for Muslim folks who are struggling with mental health uh, challenges, go and talk to somebody. You know. Go and go and go and go and have a conversation with an expert. There's so many, you know, or you know, and not so many, but we're increasing in terms of the resources yeah. that we do have, you know, within like our communities, respectively. Um, yes. You know, and 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 inshallah, we're going to continue to grow like in that um, in that realm. Um, yeah. But don't like don't be. It's better that you find yourself like a cure and you're able to identify what the problem is and how to work toward fixing it sooner rather than later because you don't want that to continue to amplify and become a bigger challenge for you later yeah. on. Yeah, I certainly, you know, there was a joke about how like this guy was going to meet, you know, the potential father-in-law and the father-in-law says, please have a seat and, you know, being a little bit too courageous, the, the guy says, mashallah, this reminds me of how I sit and pray Quran all night and stuff like that. It's just like, it's no, those aren't, that's not what you want to lead with. Yeah, no. But no. the anxiety is just real and it's hard to determine like okay am I just anxious about this one thing like you know at work if I have to talk to a boss like I it's sometimes you know you go into panic mode when really you need to just step back sometimes and just do some deep breathing maybe those are exercises that people should you know start with meditation the deep breathing a thicker like there are plenty of tiny little things to start with to try and at least for that for that moment where you feel like you're going to drown or you're really going to panic to just do those 
breathing exercises to just remember, like you said, the bird's eye view, how much will this really matter? Just to step out of that panic mode when you're really in the thick of it. Yeah. Go for a walk, right? Look up at the sky, right? You know, and remember that like, this is small in the big picture and not to dismiss what anyone is going through. That's not, of course not. No, what neither of us are trying to say, I don't think, but it's really to, um, to remember that, you know, that this is a small thing in a big picture, right? A small moment in the big picture. And uh, for me to zero in and focus in and be as, as engaged as I should be, um, it's really important for me to, you know, have my mind focused at that particular moment. And, you know, we all encounter moments where we feel like we're drowning, like you said, um, and, and it's hard, you know, there's no doubt about it, but, you know, recite salawat, you know, calm down, you know, relax your emotions um, and remember that, you know, if, as long as you go into things with like a positive intention, inshallah, you know, you trust in Allah to, you know, during the course of the process. Um, at that moment, and of course, if it's something that's elongated and it takes a long, you know, you're, you're encountering this obstacle for a long period of time, that's when, you know, you 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 identify whether or not you, you need professional help, so to say. Of course. Um, as a chaplain, what advice would you give to families, friends, and community members who want to support loved ones struggling with mental health issues while also being mindful of um, certain cultural and religious considerations? As we mentioned, sometimes that line between culture and religion gets a little blurred and how would you advise family members who are listening who may say you know I think my child is suffering from this yeah um so so a few things you know to answer maybe that last point is it's okay if your child doesn't want to talk to you right try to find you know it's okay you know don't don't be offended by that I would be so offended if she didn't want to talk I know I'm sure We, we we would all be but to, to, in other words, to like really like emanate a sense of like care and compassion to those um, around us um, and to realize that we may not have all the answers and that's okay because at the end of the day, we want what's in best interest for our family and for our friends and for our loved ones and, and, and so on and so forth. That would be like number one. So like just the larger bucket of like being caring and compassionate in those conversations. Number two, I would say is Undoubtedly, if you are looking for, you know, you know, mental health services, and I can't stress this enough, um, to please look for services that are culturally competent. Um, one of the biggest challenges around mental health services in this country is that many of them don't offer culturally competent and like aware counseling or services. They don't understand like our religion, they don't understand like our culture, many of these experts um, and the field in and of itself, you know, and, you know, my background is in higher education and then the history of higher education and my degree in my credentials, like that, that we, we still live within a framework of white Christian privilege. Um, and we can't divorce that reality from the institutions that we're living in, that we're working in, that we're looking for service in and mental health services has traditionally been dominated by that, you know, by that demographic. Yeah this white Christian, um, you know, uh, you know, hierarchy. Um, and so look for individuals who are offering services who come from a background that is similar to your background, who has an awareness of your religious values, um, cultural values, so on and so forth. Because I think that so much of the language that is being employed um, in many of these pockets, they don't fit like our our understanding or our narrative. There's no God in the picture, in other words, you know, and I think yeah. that that's a big 
problem, you know, and we don't want to get so caught up in like, you know, Western rhetoric or language that we kind of lose sight of religious, you know, values that can undoubtedly be of good service, you know, during the course of this process. That would be, you know, um, that would be number two. And number three, like communication, right? You know, like communication is so important, you know, in marriages, between families, between friends and, and so on and so forth, like communicate well, communicate often, be open about, you know, obstacles and challenges. And, you know, that's going to be the best way for you to help others um, in terms of how you're supporting them, um, but also opening the door to communicate um, for the one who is suffering with, you know, any mental health issues um, is going to give them the outlet to actually speak out, you know, and and oftentimes just through speaking uh, and sharing, people just feel better. I get this example all the time. People sit in my office for a 45 minute appointment and they're sitting and they're talking and they're, you know, you know, they're crying and they're telling me about their life. And, you know, usually in these 45 minute appointments, uh, they're talking for 40 minutes and I'm talking for five, you know, and the only things I'm saying are, you know, can I get you a cup of water? I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah. Some tissues. Do you want more tissues? Thank you. Yes. I'm sorry. Yes. No. Right. And then at the end, they're like, thank you so much. You know, yeah. you're like the best. And thank you so much. You changed my life. I said, no, no, I didn't do, I literally did nothing. All I did was sit here for 45 minutes. Right. That's and, amazing. and all you wanted to do was, you know, all, all I did was listen, you know? And so active yeah. listening would be part of, and part and sort of intrinsic to this notion of communication. Or we could add as like the fourth bucket, you know, to actively listen, to listen without speaking, you know, sometimes people want to share something, just listen to them and put your phone away. And if you have a smartwatch, then like turn off the notifications and yeah. just listen. Um, and through listening, we have the op opportunity to help cure. Um, and undoubtedly goes a long way. And we learned this undoubtedly also within the, within the sunnah of the prophet and, and Ahl al-Bayt Yeah, I think sometimes we're in such a hurry to like construct a response that we're not actively listening. And then we're also so eager to solve the problem so we can, in this world, move on to our next task. There you go. So we're not actually really listening. We're looking at this as, okay, let me finish this conversation, help this person out and move on to my next thing. For and sure. if we actually listened, I think, people would feel a lot better just unloading and saying, okay, this is everything I'm going through. Now I feel better. I feel like I can actually tackle these issues right. firsthand. And yeah. to the point of the Western therapist, oftentimes I think what I'm reading a lot is just, oh, you just need to put up boundaries, you know, cut ties if this is toxic. Right. But that's not how we operate. We don't, that's, cutting ties is not an, like, that's not what I want to do. And I don't think that's an answer to anything. Yeah. I just, I'll, I'll give you an example. There was a, there was a lady who had come to me a little while ago and she said that she was encountering, you know, issues with her siblings. And, um, and so she just decided that she wanted space, space. Right. Space. And so literally she left and um, no communication for two years. And she's talking to me and she says, like, you know, now, like, you know, they're not reconciling me with me, with me so well. And, you know, I need my space at that time. And they keep on bringing it up that you, 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 you did what you did, you know, yeah. and, and she literally said, but like, that's what I, that's what my therapist told me that I should do that. I, they're oh. a family environment, literally the same, same words that you had said. And that it's really important for me to take care of my own mental health and set up boundaries, literally the same language, right? Yeah. You know, so common, you know? 
And I said, like, I'm sorry, but like, I don't know what, you know, that's the therapist that you found and that you identified for yourself. They didn't give you like advice that has anything to do with our moral and religious sort of aptitude, you know, within our, within our religious framework. We don't do that. There are other avenues to reconcile. That's not one of them. That's not an option, you know? And I, I, I realize that this sounds, people might turn this off and think that I'm like some conservative, whatever, but that I, in reality, there can be boundaries. There should be boundaries and there can be space, but not in the way that you just leave people hanging or that you cut them off from your life. There has to be some give and some take. And our familial like responsibilities are also responsibilities because God has assumed them as our responsibilities. And that's fundamentally the problem. When these conversations are void of God, and they're void of, you know, religious morality, I think that there's a lot of uh, problems that can ensue thereafter. So we need to be very strategic with how we engage in these conversations. Yeah, I'm sure you're not asking anyone to be a doormat so that they don't put up boundaries. And I think navigating those two realms for us in this world is that's another kind of struggle I think people have. It's like, well, I don't want to be a doormat to, to, you know, my family, my in-laws, my whoever it is. But I also like need someone to respect me a little as well. And those conversations are really tricky. Yeah, they're, they're, they are. They are. And, you know, we have to we have, have, to have them. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So in your opinion, what initiatives and programs can be implemented to promote um, more awareness and support in Shia communities, specifically targeting youth? I'm sure that those listening may feel like this isn't um, an issue for them because they've heard us talk about it. But I have no doubt that there are Shia communities in North America that if you said I have a mental health thing, they will they might say you need to pray more. You need to do more du'as. How can people listening introduce programs in their communities that might not be as keen to open them? Yeah, I mean, I think like you know, ninety nine percent of the people listening to this are we're preaching to the choir, right? They're people who are right. able. To- Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I mean, look, I think this this might be you know a bit of a stretch, uh, maybe not. I think that we like literally need to put like resources like financially behind um, some of these programs and initiatives that we want, you know, I, I, I would love, right. I would love if, you know, religious um, scholarship, uh, you know, religious leaders within the community, and they, that's because the, because it's the world that I live in. Um, they like had to like undergo some sort of like training in terms of like counseling, you know, you know, I know that I have some of that or some, some sort of knowledge base. I don't know if I'm the one to offer that, but, you know, I think that undoubtedly um, folks in religious and community leadership should like take the initiative to like gain those skills. Not all of them have them and we just have to accept that and that's fine, right? They're much better yes. than me at a lot of other things too, right? And I think we all have our own skill set and our own niche. But I think like even some sort of preliminary training would be really, really important and helpful like in the long run, number one. That's a great idea. Number two, I think if we're able to like invest in, um, you know, counselors to work within like larger like communities, yeah. Uh, you know, I think that would be good in case, for instance, that the religious scholar does not have that capacity and that's totally fine as well. Right. We respect that. Um, they don't have those skill set. Can we hire somebody within the community to like, you know, and again, it, we're going to need to, so there's some sense of accountability to put down like resources behind it, right. Not someone who we're asking to volunteer. Um, and then, you know, they're not doing it with all their heart, but someone who we're paying to like fulfill yeah. like duties and tasks from like internally within the community. And it should not be someone who's like tied to people in that same way. Maybe that maybe that's, you know, what 
in, in, in other words, every community has to assess like who would be like a like like the best fit, you know? If there's yeah. somebody regionally, are there individuals that I don't know if I can say this, but like does the Simco hire like a bunch of like five people, right? And that you know they do online sort of like you know counseling, you know, I, I don't know, right? Like things yeah. like that. I think all of these would go a really long way, um, you know, in 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 sort of in sort of one go. In addition to, I think about I, th- I think about like getting in front of like communities in order to create like conversation about these subjects. I know we're doing a pretty good job about that, you know, generally speaking, and like social media and folks on it like know that this is like a very central conversation within many of our like Muslim within many of our Shi'i communities across the U.S. and Canada, and that's and that's good and that's great. But again, we still need to get in front of people who don't, you know, who don't know that this is something important. And, you know, sometimes we need to, we need to force that, right? And, yeah. you know, we need to, how can we as institutions, like, throw our weight around, so to say, and say, like, hey, yeah. we'd love to, like, do this program for you, you know, you don't need to pay for it, we'll even cover the food costs, we'll pay your electricity bills, if that's the issue at the, at the center, we want yeah. to like, run your community and do this program. And then we don't, like, even if it means sacrificing, you know, the the majlis or it means sacrificing this particular recitation of poetry or whatever this is important because this is make or break people's lives you know and i think i think about centering that in in, in some way so i think it's a longer conversation that probably we need to collectively brainstorm to get to where we need to get to inshallah no those are great suggestions um hopefully people listening can try and implement some of them uh, my last question is a fun one. As you travel through the country and in going to different communities and going to different cities, what is the number one food you are generally looking for to eat? Ooh. All right. This is this is the good stuff. Why don't, why don't we this start? Is the good with stuff. Yeah. Um, so I, it's, I, embarrassingly, it's like the first question that I ask, you know, whoever like my host is or whoever, like whatever yeah. community you're visiting, whenever they invite me after we like, you know, sort out all the details, they tell me, like, oh, so what should I be eating, you know? Yeah. For breakfast, for lunch, for dinner, where's the best place to get coffee? Where's the best place to get coffee after the coffee? Like every detail, yeah. you know, you yeah. want. Um, you know, I, I, I'm from New York, like like folks may have figured out. Um, yes. And so we have, you know, really, really good food here. But for some reason, I, and I don't know like why this is the case. I, my first question is always like, where can I get the best like burger in your city? You yeah. know, I don't know That's why. That's a good question. I don't know why. Yeah. I feel like that is like the quintessential food that you would go and try and it would give like a good understanding of like the culture and the food and, you know, of the rest of the yeah. rest of the city. People yeah. probably think crazy right now, but. Um, <laughs> no, for uh, anyone listening, if Sheikh Fayaz is coming to your city and be sure to take him out for a burger. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Awesome. Um, burger. Well, and, then, and of course we're going to get the best, best cup of coffee. That would be, that'd be number two. Yeah. Total New Yorker. Where's your coffee? You know, it. you know, it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sheikh Fayaz, for our discussion today. Before we let you go, where can people see more of your work? Yeah, you could find me on social media, primarily on um, Instagram at Fayaz Jafar, F-A-I-Y-A-Z-J-A-F-F-E-R. I also have a podcast. Um, it's called Sheikhing It Up with Sheikh Fayaz. It's a podcast that's only released during the month of Ramadan, but hopefully starting to put out more episodes during the course of this upcoming academic year after the summer. So please be on the lookout for that. And, I, and I'll say this with all sincerity, if it's going to be helpful with any to anyone for anything that I spoke about, um, I'm, I'm, I'm sincerely um, more than happy to, 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 to connect with you. Um, and if I can't be the one to provide the resources that you need, I will go to every extent to um, find uh, the resources that you need so that they can be provided to you. Uh, just feel free to reach out to me. You can reach out to me via social media. 
Uh, I'll give you my email address thereafter, or you can direct, you know, contact me directly through uh, my email address, which you can also find on my social media or online as well. So thank you all. And thank you for Hannah and team for, for having me. Amazing. And your podcast is really good. I will vouch for that. Join us again next month. Thank you so much to our listeners for joining us on Sukun, a Muslim wellness podcast by Nasimco. You can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on our website, nasimco.org. To keep this vital work going, please consider donating under General Fund. Your contributions could lend you a special shout out on our next show. Until next time, salam alaikum.